are forced to actively define and choose something, you take a lot of pride and empowerment from it. I value the choices I make because they lend themselves to create the life I know I want to live and see benefit in. Today's guest is Adi Heyman. Adi is one of New York City's top fashion influencers. She also happens to be an Orthodox Jewish woman and was part of the group that spearheaded modest fashion in the industry. Adi was actually born Amber, a Christian girl from Texas. Listen how her incredible story brought her to Judaism, then New York City, and then ultimately to fashion. Today, I have the fabulous Adi Heyman on. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I've known Adi for a while and was even honored to write some articles for her incredible blog called Fabology that unfortunately does not exist anymore and we can talk about. But it was fun when it did and got a lot of inspiration from it and I was so happy I got to write for it. So Adi, welcome. Thank you. Such an honor and pleasure to be here. And I'm excited to talk to you about your story because I find that you're so out there in the world fashion world, in the modesty fashion world, which we'll also talk about. And everyone kind of knows your background, but not so much. And I thought it'd be interesting if we could get a little bit of your story. So why don't you take it away and tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be Jewish. And let's start there. Okay, well, firstly, um, Bashat Tova, we're both expecting babies at the same time. I know, so so exciting. You look so beautiful, so it's it's good to connect and do this together in different ways, a podcast, a pregnancy. We're here today, <laughs> friends, so. But yeah, to jump right in, I was born in Texas, San Antonio, Texas. I was raised um, in my younger childhood as an observant um, Christian, a Southern Baptist. I come from a family um, on my mother's side that are practicing Christians and very involved in the religion, you know, pastors and preachers, my uncles, my grandparents, very involved in the church. Wow. And for my father's side, Christian, but less observant, but both born in Texas, uh, many generations. Um, my mom's family is a, a family of farmers and they, they really lived off the land and animals and all of this amazingness. And my father, um, he and his family are very athletic and I, he played sports all through his, um, high school, college, he was injured, but, you know, kind of grew up in that Friday night lights. I was going to say, sounds real Friday night lights over here. Yeah, no, it it really is. It really, I mean, it was, it's a very, it was just very different, a very insulated environment. I mean, it was, I, I loved, you know, growing up, I think in the country, um, we had a lot of land. I was homeschooled. Uh, you know, it was kind of jeans, a t-shirt and a ponytail and animals, right. you know, which I'm, I love animals and I love being in nature. And so I, I think that was a real gift. We didn't watch television. We didn't listen to secular music. We were, you know, pretty devout Christians, but also really just connected to our, our Southern roots and to the country and nature. Uh, my father was a professional, also like hunter and marks, marksman, and oh he would goodness. go up the yeah, like, so he, we just, it was really that type of culture, um, but always very God conscious. My yeah. parents are spiritual people. And when my mom and dad were married, my father became more integrated in the church. And um, as my mom's family was more involved in even leadership within that, 
So with that, I think, you know, my parents delved into religion and even more so my father, like I said, very, very spiritual person, though he wasn't raised necessarily religious, had a lot of questions, I think, with Christianity through the years. And because they were put in a place of where people looked up to them and they taught classes at church. And like I said, I have a lot of family members who were part of the clergy. That comes with a lot of, you know, responsibility and a lot of a lot of questions. And from those questions, I think came a quest and a journey that led my parents from, you know, the first, the sect of Christianity that they were living. And that I think was more, you know, what my, my family in Texas still is into, you know, other areas of Christianity and ultimately other religions. And I, their journey was really a quest for truth. For whatever reason, I don't think Christianity, particularly for my father, and obviously, you know, like, you know, as it was meant to be for my mother as well, but I think together they, you know, they had these questions and this journey for truth and what felt to them like the right fit. And that ultimately led them from Christianity. And we did not grow up knowing religious Jews existed. We thought they were Bible people. <laughs> we were, we we, do, we really didn't know anything about Orthodox Judaism or Judaism at all. And the journey did lead them to meet, whether it was stereotypical Jewish, but either Seventh-day Adventists or different people right. that, you know, to, uh, different shoot-offs of Judaism. So ultimately that did lead to Orthodox Judaism in San Antonio, Texas. And there is an Orthodox synagogue there and a Rabbi Scheinberg who is known for conversion and which it was such a gift. And there is a Chabad there and a Rabbi Block who are both still there. And they do tremendous work in an out of town community. And um, my parents, we did not convert through Chabad. We did it through the Orthodox synagogue. But my parents, you know, kind of jumped into the Jewish community and they were not quick to, to tell us to convert. You know, they right. said, you have children. This isn't something you want to do, you know, like think about this, but my parents really saw the beauty in Judaism and connected. And so we didn't convert right away, but we definitely became, you know, part of the community community, and it was a really beautiful thing. And ultimately we did convert Orthodox and the children and parent, we all chose our own Hebrew names and that's how a D came about. I chose it actually. And there's not too much rhyme or reason. I looked in the Hebrew English Milone, the like orange and blue little pocket <laughs> yeah. size. And one of the transliterations for the name Amber was actually a D. It was Ambar, and there were a few other was variations. That your, sorry, I forgot to get off. Was that your yes, English my, name? I was born Amber Fuller. Yeah. Okay. So my, my siblings and I were Heather, Amber, Ginger, and Tyler. Oh. So <laughs> Fuller. Like from Texas. Um, <laughs> That's so, nice. yeah, so we converted and then right away my my parents started looking at more vibrant Jewish communities because being in an out-of-town community has, you know, has challenges within Orthodox Judaism. And particularly as converts, they felt like we, I think the kids mo- even more so needed the support and I think the experience of a right. vibrant community, which ultimately landed us in Miami Beach, Florida, mm-hmm. where I attended ninth to 12th grade at the Hebrew Academy of Miami. And it was Incredible. just a quick study on Judaism 101 and learning <laughs> and learning Chumash and Navi and really, like I said, experiencing a vibrant community that had restaurants and educational right. options. So that, you know, that was kind of my childhood till through high school. High school. 
Was there any resistance from you or your siblings? Because it sounded like it was mostly your parents' journey and they were bringing, obviously parents bring their children along. Was there any point that you guys were like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Like you're part of the church, your family's all part of the church, you live on the farm. It, Jewish orthodoxy seems to be very different. I mean, I think when you're raised as a religious child person, you're in a religious family that's very devout. We were very, we were religious Christians. We weren't just sect. You know, like I said, we didn't watch television. We didn't listen to secular music or anything like that. We went to church every Sunday. We went to, you know, Bible school, schooled. Our homeschool group was from our church. I don't think there was a lot of questions like, you know, why are we doing this? Because A, Judaism, Christianity are very similar Mm -hmm. in the sense of God consciousness, in the sense of the textual, you know, Old Testament, New Testament it, we 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 obviously believed in Jesus in the New right. Testament, but we also knew uh, the Ten Commandments by heart, and we studied the right. Old Testament, and we knew all about the 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 prophets, the Nevi'im, and yeah. Uh, so it wasn't. I don't think it was. We we didn't dress modestly or keep Shabbat or kosher. We didn't know any anything like that. But I don't think it was so different in the thought process that it was so radically different because it was still a God, godliness, I guess. Yeah. It was very, um, our Christianity was also practice, really practice focused. And there was a lot of obedience and, um, respect. And I think that is within Judaism, very similar and it was gradual. So I think the most difficult was that we converted and the rest of my family, grandparents and my cousins and, you know, that they were not Jewish. Right. And they didn't go through that conversion. And obviously to them, there were some difficulties, you know, that we left the faith. I was going to ask, was there any pushback from the family? I I don't think they understood. I think it's the same concept. Somebody leaves Judaism. You know, if you raise, if you raise your children to be a certain way and then they go to something different, I think, you know, it's difficult, but I have so much respect for my grandparents because they were, despite not understanding and even having, you know, the community knew my parents converted to Judaism. It wasn't something easy. They, they definitely had people come and speak to them about this. And it was, it was, you know, not typical. My grandparents were hugely supportive, you know, with it. And I think they saw when we converted that we, we weren't crazy, but rather, you know, we really believed and there was some, there was so much goodness in it. And there, maybe our, our traditions became different and, you know, we did change our names, which is a little bit different, but they right away were like, how can you, how can the kids still visit? How can we still be a part of your life? What can we do to help be kosher? We won't, you know, like, wow. would come over and on fast days when I was in high school in Miami, she would fast. And I'm like, Grammy, you're not even, <laughs> why are you fasting? And she'd be like, no, no, I'm going to do it. No, it's fine. And <laughs> That's incredible. Like, what, what heart, you know, I think like what love. And so that I, is so beautiful. So, yeah. So I think there is a lot of mutual respect and I don't think for me personally, I don't think Judaism is the only way I think Judaism is the way for me. And I hold true to that, but I know incredible humans and incredible family members that are not Jewish. And I think their path in life is Christianity or, you know, friends that are 
Catholic or Buddhist, whatever it is, they have found their truth, their light. And I don't judge that the same way. I would not want to be judged by my choice of Judaism. And I think having been brought up in that mindset that is quite expansive and quite open, I, I, in my adult life, I don't feel really confined or defined by my choices because I know everything's changeable. Everything's doable. And I, I really hold true to what feels right to me. And like I said, for me, that's Judaism. Um, but I, I stick with intuition and I, I respect my parents for going on that journey and finding their truths. And I, you know, I respect my grandparents for that. So I think it, I think there's a lot of value and experience in that. I look back, it's all I know. So, you know, it's, it's not something I think about often, but yeah, so that, that was my childhood. And we, we, as the children, we were raised, you know, very obedient. We were raised, you know, and where I grew up, you, you spoke to, and you were spoken to, it was, (laughs) um, you know, it was, yeah. So we didn't have an issue. It was gradual. Um, You know, my parents didn't force things right away. It wasn't like, if you don't do this, you're going to be punished. It was more, you know, you need to do it outside of the house or this is what we're doing. But it was, we did it as a family. And I'm, I, my siblings and I now are kind of living all different lives. And we actually all different places and different states or countries. None of us live near each other, but we found, we found our place in Judaism and we've, individualized it and it we all still are each other's biggest cheerleaders and awesome. believers and I have so much love for them and you know so I'm I'm just grateful you know that's awesome what a beautiful story um so once you got to Miami and you were in high school I know from experience growing up orthodox and Jewish that in high school a lot of orthodox teens you know, go through a rebellious stage, right? They start pushing the lines of orthodoxy and what they can do and what they can't do. And I'm curious, coming from the background that you did and having this detour, did you find yourself doing any of that? No. With orthodoxy? I, so I didn't feel a need. Like, I didn't want to just right. go put on. I mean, I had worn, I, I just I, think you had that experience. Like for me, it didn't make or break me whether I'm wearing blue jeans or a skirt, even today sitting here now, right. I don't grapple with that. I just don't care. I don't think it has that much to do with my life every day as a mom, as a human in my work. I don't think that's a make it or break it. It's really such a simple thing. And I just felt like, wow, I see the beauty in what I'm learning about Orthodox Judaism and or even modern Orthodox Judaism, because we were modern Orthodox, but, you know, we're wearing when I got married a wig. And I value I value the choices I make because they lend themselves to create the life I know I want to live and see benefit in. For me, right. my family now as an adult, I learned to love those choices because yeah. I value them. And, you know, like anything That's- in life doing, I think you have to choose to value things, even if they can be challenging, because they make you who you are. Yeah. I love the way you said that's such a beautiful way to put it, that you value the bigger picture. You know where you're heading, the direction, and that's the value. And all the little things aren't as important as where you're heading and the value of who you want to be and who you want your family to be. Right. I see a lot of, like you said, the little things. I just, as myself see a lot of the little things as distractions personally. Yeah. I don't get caught up in the minutia and, and 
general. You know, I think we have enough on our plates (laughs) (laughs) in this world and a lot of responsibility. And I, I think, like I said, if you know where you're going and you're willing to take the steps to get there, then you can do it. And, you know, practice makes pattern and gives purpose. And I, I'm all about the really, the active choices that make you an active participant in your life and allow you to achieve, I think, ultimately what is, whatever it is your goal is. A hundred percent. Now let's talk about the fashion part of it. You (laughs) had mentioned that you grew up on the farm in Texas, jeans, t-shirt, and a ponytail. Where did this love, clearly love, for fashion come in? Tell us about that. I think more than fashion, I am a creative. Okay. And I... I think, you know, my, my creative spirit definitely is the dominant part of, you know, who I am as a person. I was the 10 year old kid with a video camera making movies and learning to edit them and adding music and all this with their siblings. Cause we did have a video camera. I was, you know, I, I loved writing and I didn't know a lot about fashion and I ended up going to Israel after high school after that, I decided to go to Turo College. It was an all-girls school, and I wanted to, you know, continue my Jewish education. I be at an all-girls dorm. And it was just something I never experienced. I went to a co-ed high school that I wanted to to really try out. I didn't know, you know, co- converting young, you read choose Judaism a lot, and you figure out, you know, who are you going to date? Who 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 do you want to be? And how are you going to, as an adult, identify with your Judaism? Because you know, my parents were on a journey, but it was their own journey, right? And I had to really redefine myself and take the steps to kind of figure out that life. And when your parents didn't live that life and they're figuring it out, you, it's kind of sky's the limit. Like, where do you want to live? What do you do? Who do you want to marry? How religious do you want to be? All of these are, you know, I see in the Jewish community, there is so much heritage and tradition. And a lot of my friends, their practice and their identification with, you know, their own, Yiddishkeit or Judaism is through their parents. And, you know, they, they take on this it's and so they fun. feel. Ability. Yeah. It's funny you say that because you're saying it from this perspective of that your parents converted and that was their journey. And now you had to figure out your own. I think where we get it wrong in orthodoxy is that what you just said is that so many people take on their parents' journey. And what really should be happening is that as you get older and as you become an adult, you need to rediscover Judaism for yourself. Whether you converted, whether you grew up in it, whether you're searching, it doesn't matter. But when you take on your parents' journey or take on their life, you're essentially not taking on your own. Right, right. Right. And I think when you are forced to actively define and choose something, you take a lot of pride. You have a lot more authority and empowerment from it. And it's your choice. No one's forcing me to wear a skirt. Nobody's forcing me to keep Shabbos. Nobody, you know, in my life. And like I said, my family has gone off. Everybody found their own way and it's not a one way. Right. And my parents did they divorced after we converted, you know, years later, and they have gone on to really find, you know, their own lives still within Judaism. But so I think there's a sense of individuality 
just openness and that, that I've, I've realized other people don't maybe feel that I feel. And yeah. so, you know, when I, so I came to New York to go to Toro and the, the idea was I'd finish very quickly in two years and go to Columbia for journalism. Okay. And so I doubled up on, double up on credits <laughs> and I, um, I love New York city. I literally stepped on the ground in New York and it was like, these are my people. Like, I love the city. I just did. I breathed it. I, I enjoyed living here. I met great friends. It was for me, just this time coming of age in New York city and fashion was a part of that, but I didn't myself grow up in that circle or knowing that much about it. Um, and my actual real entrance, I mean, I was more journalist based and a yeah. writing media based. And I met my husband. We got Wait, married. Young. You met in college. Yes. I did well, he, but I was in New York. Yeah. And he was doing a yeshiva college program in Connecticut. Okay. And we met and we were, became very good friends. I don't know. Just like, we just loved each other. We were like, <laughs> we like each other so much. We just can't like not be together. So we were dated other people in between, but then we were like, let's just get married. And a few months later we got engaged and married okay. and never back. And we were like, I was 21 and he's 20. He was 20. Wow. So it was like, yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. And he still is like my favorite human. And I have so much respect for him and value, you know, and just so grateful to have him in my life. We actually, our wedding anniversary was yesterday and we've been married 16 years. Mazalto, That's amazing. And I love so, that you've been married 16 years and you still speak so beautifully about him. <laughs> well, he's, he's amazing. A real blessing. With me getting married came responsibility again, and yeah. we wanted to live in New York City, and we couldn't afford it, basically. <laughs> like everybody so, else. Yeah, so we got a little apartment, and my husband went mostly through yeshiva um, education. Okay. So needed a minute to figure out, since he didn't want to go the route of a typical, um, you know, a learner, like mm -hmm. a, a lot of family members, um, or a rabbi into the Rabbinut. Um, he had to figure out what he wanted to do. And it, you know, and thank God we were young and we were ambitious and we were smart and we jumped in. And so I got a job working in fashion as an assistant because it paid the bills. And that's, that was my whole, that was your entry. Yeah. You just needed a job. And so you got one in fashion. What Someone was your first job? I was assistant to one of the editors, oh. which I overly speak about that just because it's like, it's not like I, I there's a lot of like things signed and whatnot. You don't exactly like, <laughs> yeah. so you can't it. tell us if it's like devil's wears Prada type of, editor. it was, by the way, it was extremely <laughs> like devil wears Prada. That's, but it was that era. I mean, I feel like that was very much that. Yeah running in heels, craziness. It was still the wild west. There was no social media. There was no, it was just all New York, all crazy, all fashion, all creative. I liked being at that level of fashion because it wasn't about the brands. We were talking about people that were creating industries. We were talking, or we were, I, I'm talking, I'm, we were working with teams that were creating emotional style and fashion and trends. And it was, you know, shoots that like, you know, you work on a photo shoot and it's not just 
the shoot. It's the concept. It's the beauty of the art. And so I, I right away, like just loved it and, and jumped in and started being used in different capacities, which led me into styling and doing other things would hire me on the side or, you know, I, I loved working on the shoots a lot. Like for me, directing them, it was just, uh, it was fun. And my boss let me and, um, you know, really get hands in after a while. And I loved it. So I was then working in fashion and I didn't. One question. Did you stop journalism college? Did Columbia go off the table? What happened? Columbia was off the table. I finished Toro because I had done it quick. I mean, yeah. And then journalism, I put a hold on. I had planned to like start back maybe, you know, a semester after we moved to New York, but I loved what I was doing and I was still writing. I mean, I was still doing writing and I was still like, when you're an assistant, you like, if you have a good boss that lets you, you know, do things and a lot. And because you're learning and experiencing something so unique, there's a lot of opportunity in it. Yes. So I really like I postponed and I was just loving what I was doing. I also grew up really, you know, like my life was my journey to Judaism. I lived in Miami. I lived in Texas. I, I was just learning so much, you know, having come from a Jewish high school, a Jewish kind of very small private college. This was like a whole different world. I had never met creatives. I had never met people that thought so much like me intuitively, like things I was, you know, like, I don't, you know, I mean, you wrote for my blog, like young in my fashion work, I was being photographed for street style before people even knew who I was, you right. know, what I would wear would show up on the runway I was sitting at just as an assistant. And for me, it was just like, oh, this feels right. This trend feels like this is, it just felt right. So many things. And um, so the industry, I was great to me. I have, you know, thank God, a really good experience in the fashion industry. And in my community life, I was an observant Jew and I would rush home and like, you know, make sure. Shop- <laughs> yeah. And people noticed I started dressing differently and asking me where my inspiration was. And when people mm. heard crazy stories, they'd be like, oh my gosh, like there's no way you can be religious and do this. Like this is not, this is not, and this is like, I did this for 10 years. So this was right. a long time, eight years. This is a long time I was doing this. But I feel like it, it, that's the impression people get. Like, you know, I was doing the makeup side of it. It's fascinating that we never met because I was in New York the same time doing shoots well, the same we time. Later, and then I remember we were at Fashion Weeks together That's later. Right. That's right. But I think people like us were, how would we meet? I didn't, we, we didn't know we were both Jewish, so right. we wouldn't have connection. If you were at a show, I would be right. doing what I I was up. on so backstage, right? Exactly. Past, it's such a chaotic time. Oh yeah. That like it's it's kind of like you're with the your your, your tribe, mm-hmm. your crew, whoever is what That's you right. do. Other than that, you're so swamped. You don't just go there to make friends. Even at no. parties, you're an assistant or when you're hired you're- to do something, you're busy. Yeah, I mean, right. you're, I was busy from the second I showed up to the second I left. You're not really talking to other people besides the, what your work is and the people you need to work with. But it's interesting because I also got that a lot. Like, oh, you're observant. This isn't the industry for you and you never made it. And I know where I got the, I would say, strength to kind of ignore those people and move forward. What you said earlier to me, I think was so interesting because... I'm curious how it showed up in this when you said that because your parents had chosen their own path and you had to reclaim your Judaism for yourself, you know, and so it really 
put you in a position to think, right? It wasn't just, I'm doing what they say I'm doing. I'm not, I'm keeping Shabbos because my parents are keeping Shabbos and that. And you really had to like figure out who you were as someone Jewish, as someone Orthodox, as someone becoming, you know, an adult through college and stuff. How did that come into play in this fashion industry? Because you seemed so strong in it from the beginning. Like, you are creative. I've been, I was in the industry and I understand it's also extremely intimidating and you were young. How was it that you were show, showing up at fashion week? How was it that you were getting, you know, photographed on page six? There was something well, about your spirit. I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm personally not one to be intimidated. I think if you're in a space where you're doing well and you earned your way there, then you're good. You know, like I felt right. really, when I went to fashion week, I knew I belonged there. I worked my ass, you know, right. when I showed up dressing modestly, whether or not I was photographed, I showed up wearing things I was proud of that I think represented me as a human in my position at my job or what I believed fashion could be, whether it was sustainable or vintage or, you know, for me, modesty was also, it was, it was a challenge. It was, it was kind of cool to like, be able to figure out how to do this my way. And I think anytime you're in an industry as, as large as fashion and as you know notorious for influencing as fashion, when you have your own guidelines that you choose that narrow your perspective, so say modesty, right? You know, it allowed me within, within a smaller kind of vision figure out what I wanted to wear, how I wanted to reflect trends, who I wanted to support. Because looking at a, we're sitting at a runway, you know, my eye was catching five looks that were modest, that were mind blowing to me. Like, you know, these are the years when Dolce & Gabbana had shown the polka dot and the leopard mix. This is when Valentino had the turnover and brought in new creative directors and they were doing all the maxi dresses. And right. it was, it was the row, you know, these were the first oh, years I of the row. the row. And it was this disruption that actually modesty, I remember Susie Minkies, um, she wrote an incredible article about modesty in 2012, and it really likened it to rebellion. And I, I remember thinking it was such That's an so interesting, because it, she called it, I think, a modest appraisal. And she talked about the row and she talked about, you know, Alexa Chung and these different fashion leaders at the time that were really at the helm of trend and what was going on in the industry, but they're really bucking the system. And, you know, like I said, Valentino and later, you know, you saw it with Gucci when Alessandro Michele came on as, uh, as creative director, um, this young hip modern modesty. And it was, like I said, it was mind blowing to me. She equated it with such, you know, rebellion, like we're bucking the trend of, you know, skin is in and we're doing it our way. Granny chic at the time and all that, which was just fabulous and very timely for me. But so I, I don't know. So back to your question, when I, when I came in, I didn't feel intimidated. I felt I felt like there was this white space that made a lot of sense to me and a void that I knew could not only be reflected and timely within the industry itself, but also be really inspirational, motivational to our, to our own community. Because I saw a lot of people grappling with modesty. And at this time, we didn't have the trickle down to Zara so much from these, you know, larger design houses. Right. 
And it was, it was trickier to dress modestly. I actually wore a lot of vintage first and that's how I really got my own style of modesty. Um, I know, you know, New York, Brooklyn had modest stores at that time, but I wasn't shopping them. Um, so it was, it was, you were creative if you were modest and you, you were right. doing it your type of thing. So I don't know, you know, I went to fashion week, I held my head high. The industry was receptive of me. Um, and I think that that liberty led me to ultimately start my blog right? and really, you know, create a community around what I was doing and like-minded women and be able to give them a platform to stay true to maybe their Judaism in whatever way they wanted to do that, but also be within the industry, a part of the industry and relevant in the industry. And I, I didn't see a need, I guess I'm not a compromiser. I, I want it all, you know, and if it means I work a little harder, or I'd be a little bit more creative or I don't know, you know, I used to shop eBay and I was like, I, I went to consignment shopping, like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. That's right. how I could only, that's how I could afford fashion when Same. I worked in-, in high school. That's all I shopped. I still shop you know, vintage thrift a lot. In yeah. LA, San Francisco, there were just so many great stores and that's where all the modest clothes was that was stylish. Right. So, but I think not everybody had access to consignment shops like that. LA, yeah. New York, you're talking about places, you know, Metropolis is notorious or renowned for these vintage archival places or consignment from top, from models. The models right. all can Oh, so if you find a spot taking model who wears your size shoe, you're getting a nice <laughs> you're good of shoes if you stick with it, you know. That's so, right. Um, so yeah, so that it was like I said, it ultimately led to the blog, which right. you know about. And yeah. that for me was really just the synthesis of what I was living and doing and me wanting, I think even psycho psychologically myself to build a community around myself. I didn't know many people like me. I didn't know anyone in the industry like me. Um, who was a religious Jew. And, right. you know, because I worked so many hours and I, I, these were my friends and these were my people right. most of the time. And um, so I, I loved when I was able to start the blog and I, you know, my blog was right away, you know, the industry was so good to me, but they right away allowed me access to fashion week as press. And I was able to take all my contributors with me to see shows. And it really catapulted them into a space of being part of a website that had accreditation within right. fashion. You know, I, I, I loved that. And I loved, um, you know, kind of aggregating a group of women around me that maybe wouldn't have had that opportunity, but a hundred percent had the skill and the know-how and the drive. But, but because we stick true to our Judaism, it's hard to always have the time or the connections. And we didn't all have, you know, a lot of us got married young. We didn't have time for, you know, to go to Paris and get to build those connections. You know, yeah. Which a lot of people pay their dues for many, many years. And um and most of my contributors had children very young. Right. And so it was, it was, it was incredible. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful, fun ride. And yeah. did you did you ever have any conflict or issue with Shabbos with any part of religion like I know the modesty wasn't an issue but I know that in the fashion world there's a lot going on over the weekends and 
when you started, because obviously once you're more established, you get a little bit more respect and leeway. But when you started, was there no conflict that you wouldn't work Friday nights or Saturdays? I mean, there was, I I don't want to say conflict, but it definitely was something I had to voice and stay stick with, you know, kind of, you know, I'm not going to be checking my phone. I'm not going to like, this was just part of, if you hire me, this is what you get. And I I was always very upfront about that. I I knew it to be, be to my detriment not to be, but I also value, I value and I valued that Hashem got me where I am Mm. along the whole journey. Because even at fashion week, listen, I was at Paris fashion week. I remember, and this is not so many years ago, this is maybe three years ago or so. And, you know, it's Saturday and you want to go to, I mean, you'd just like, oh, (laughs) whatever, you know, it's like, but then at the end of the day, it's just, to me, it's always like, I feel so blessed. And I have seen Hashem's hand so many times in my journey. I know I wouldn't be here without my faith lending it, you know, to me in different capacities. And I, I do attribute that to God and I'm just always aware of these incredible miracles. And I'm so grateful that, no, I don't, I don't feel a need to compromise because I know what got me here. Like, especially when I had my blog and really that put me in my own space where I was able to do, you know, really extraordinary things and opportunities, but I I wasn't quick to forget why I was there, you know, and that my niche and staying true to that was very important to me and people at that point respected me for it. So no, I don't, I don't feel a need to compromise. I just don't. I'm so, I like in, in general, I don't, I don't think it sounds like it. You're like it, across the board, it, there is no compromise. But I, like what Ford said, if you're good enough, yeah. they'll look. Exactly. So did I work harder than everybody I know? Yes. Probably. Did I work on myself and study up and, and, and make fashion, you know, with the history of fashion, anything I, I can't, I can't say the work I put in, obviously it's always Hashem, but like, I wasn't lazy. I didn't feel entitled. I didn't think they owed me Shabbat. I don't think you, they owed me that I got to wear a skirt when other people wore pants or whatever. That that's not, no, I worked overtime. Even I'm a, I believe in hard work. I believe in paying your dues, but I also had tremendous respect for my industry. And I think when you come at an industry with such respect and you, you lend them that, then they will respect you as well. I don't know. I always thought it was a partnership. And even if someone is my superior in terms of, you know, position, we're all just people, you know, that's a beautiful way to look at it uh, as a partnership. I think about work like that as well. Like, even if you have a boss, you're still a partnership. You're bringing tremendous value. That's why they hired you. And right. when you look at it like that, then there's more mutual respect going on. And then you have more place to have your voice heard, which is what you right. did. And the Fabology blog was so incredible because, like you said, you really gave a space to Orthodox Jewish women who are extremely creative, who would have no space because they got married young, because they have little children, because they can't pay the dues in the way me and you did. You know, we were just talking about we didn't have children until we were 30 because we were busy with our careers. And so there's just a different, if I had little babies from the time I got married, I couldn't do, you know, 15 hour shoots. Right. It just wouldn't be, it wouldn't make sense. And I I wouldn't want to. I want to be, even when I had my son, the reason I started my blog is knowing I wanted to be home more. I didn't want to be. Which is why I stopped kind of working in the fashion industry. 
You know, that is the, the reality is if you want to say I'm having kids and I want to keep that up and I want to be home. I just don't see that happening. Then you're not realistic with what the industry is and what the industry needs. Right. They need people to give it their all because this is a machine, a revolving yeah. And you've got to keep up. And if you you can't stay in the same space, then evolve and create a new space or find right. your seat at the table that aligns with your value set. Or but there's always a space for someone if they're willing to if they're willing to pioneer it and if they're talented and it's their space. I Which believe. is so. what your creativity, you know, opened doors for you. It sounds like because right. you understood there was a space. And so you started this blog that was incredible that it was such a great blog. Yeah. Well, it was actually a year that like man repeller into the gloss. It was the right. same year, ton of bloggers without knowing each other. Like there was, it was like a Renaissance. It was all this disruption in the industry where people were kind of taking the power back and saying, right. We, we've, we love the editorial and we love, you know, we love that, but we want to do fashion our way. And I think it was also very timely. I, I didn't, I literally just sat down one night, it was 2010. And I told my husband, I just want to put this out there. Like this is all in my head and I know I can create valuable knowledge and valuable content at an industry level for the Jewish community that you don't need to dumb down any part of, you know, your observance in religion or your beliefs, but you can enjoy and celebrate fashion and lifestyle. Right. It wasn't only fashion, it was lifestyle as well. And I was just like, it makes sense in my head. And in fact, it was my life at that point, right. you know, like made sense to me. And I, in my, I'm so grateful I'm a writer by trade because that tool was obviously invaluable and in being able to put out a website of content of weekly course. for years. You know, so it's a, it's such a gift, I think, to be able to use all your skill set that Hashem has given you and channel that towards something. And yeah, and that, and I just, I put it out there anonymously to start with. And then as I was, you know, photographed more and people started realizing it was me, I um, put my name on it. And I, yeah. at that was kind of, I was voted best dressed New Yorker and I was being put in a lot of magazines for my fashion and people were modesty was on the rise. I had one of my questions I had was to ask you, how does fashion and religion and God come into play together? But throughout this conversation, I feel like it's your running theme that, you know, God is so much a part of everything you do and your religion is so much a part of everything you do. There's no contradiction. And it's funny because people assume like the high fashion industry and religion and observance and orthodoxy can't match, right? There's this first, I don't know why. I remember when I started in the beauty industry, my parents are Rabbi and Rebbitson, pretty big in LA. And so many of their people who would come to them would be like, are you guys okay with what Or is doing? And it was never a concept to them that there was a conflict. But for some reason, there's this idea that it doesn't go together. Well, I think the the fashion industry is, you know, it's it's also renowned for its materialism and for its sleazy you know, side. A little bit wild, <laughs> sexy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a different world, and True. it's it's not typical. And I think in the religious world, just because of the traditions, 
I don't think many people have the opportunity to work in it. You have to be naturally very, very talented to find your way in fashion with zero training. I mean, it has to be so (laughs) part of your spirit that it's something that you can't deny almost that it just happens. That's why I say like, for me, it wasn't a struggle because for whatever reason, fashion has always made sense to me. Whether I'm writing about a trend, whether I'm putting together an outfit, it doesn't it doesn't feel difficult. In fact, it feels fun and easy. Mm-hmm. And it's something I've honestly, a lot in my later life, I've social media and all that, I've grown bored of the commercial side of it. I don't, I, it, for me, it is emotional and spiritual. And when you sit at a runway, when you meet a designer, when you see a collection in totality with the music, the models, as the artist, the designer wants you to see it. It's a very different thing than walking into a Bergdorf's or a Bloomingdale's and seeing a dress on a rack. I, I'm not even a shopper. I don't even, I mean, I, I'm happy to wear, you know, denim and black all the time. Like I'm just, right. for me, it's like, that's not the drive for me to like, if that's not the beauty of it to own it, purchase it, wear it, it's more the concept, the creation, the ingenuity, the the brilliance, the beauty, and the craft of it. So, um, you know, I, I think in our in our communities, because so much of life is about tradition and heritage, and it, there's not a lot of room for exploration in that. And it's it's to be at the helm, you've you've got to give it your all, and it's got to be a part of you in some way. Um, so I don't think it's typical, but I, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like the community, again, I've always been a little outside typical community because I did convert because I'm not, you know, it, so right. I didn't, I didn't, th- I, for me, it was always very synthesized. It was very aligned. I have tremendous respect for my religion. I have tremendous respect for my industry. I, it, for mm-hmm. me, it all just worked as things I believed in. And I think made my life, and I still do, the beautiful world it is. Absolutely. Why did you stop Fabology? When it when it became really a platform for other women, and that was my focus, really producing content and including other people. And this is when a lot of young modest designers were trying to crop up. And I worked with every name you know. I've worked with them from the beginning and worn their stuff to get it photographed and then let them use those photographs. And we've all right. bounced them off. It was really strategic, all our work to get, I think, the Jewish community on the scene and get them some articles in Vogue and get the, you know, and for me, it was never just about me. I, I love collaborating with other humans. I, I'm a big believer in people. I I love it. I love community. For me, it's never competition. It's always collaboration and um, just creative magic. So um, I was working with all these women in this platform and it just, it got bigger and bigger and I was offered a lot of opportunities like reality TV shows. I actually, <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, I Uh-oh. I was offered, <laughs> offered me a lot. I was offered to write books. I mean, it was, it was incredible. But it, I also, within the beginning years of it, gave birth to my son. And in about 2015, I decided, I felt like the women, I felt like I had accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Mm. It was mainstream to think you could do this and live this life. And it was mainstream to think your pace off table could be on par with what Vogue put out as the Easter table and that your fashion was not being 
compromised because you were just wearing skirts. And we had young, modest designers coming up and they had really been, you know, their names were out there. People knew who they were. I felt like they had a lot of opportunity. And I, I thought other social media came into play. I started my blog before Instagram, but it was on social media. And I, I, I saw a lot of my contributors who are now bloggers, you know, like Elizabeth Sebetsky or Deanie Klein, or right. these are all worlds that got started with me. And I saw them growing and I knew I could continue to be a support, but I, I didn't feel a need. I knew I was at a place where either I grow the site to become a website that also sold product. Like it had to turn into a business for it to right. be worth time or I wanted to spe- spend more time doing less of it. <laughs> and and ultimately I went to work for Ivanka Trump and write for her um, initiative, Women Who Work. She had a book that came out a few years ago and um, I wrote some articles about non-Jewish women um, around the globe that did incredible things, you know, whether it's education reform in Africa or, you know, I, I so that, right. so I, I really, I guess I, I took, I let the blog kind of fade away because I felt like we had so much, so many resources now in our communities for other people to continue to do it. And I had been doing it for so many years that I just, I wanted a break. It wasn't what I wanted to be cornered into it. it for me, it was something I was good at, but like, I also had other things. I love to write. At that point, I was heavily editing content and writing fashion or lifestyle. And it was nice to kind of step outside our community and go back to my journalistic roots and yep. interview women who were like kicking my ass with their minds and their <laughs> You know, so I, I just was like, that for me was hugely inspirational. And I could go back to freelancing quietly. Uh, my goal was never to be famous. It has never been. For me, I like to be very under the radar. And I liked that time with my son home where I could write and then be with him. And, you know, so. And it sounds like you accomplished what you set out to do. A hundred percent. I mean, I started it with no objective other than just putting my thoughts thoughts out into the world anonymously, you know, and to see it grow into that and be received like that and empower women to stay true to their Judaism, but also show up for industry and each other. What it was hugely fulfilling. So for me, it was just like, I'm good, you know, like let me go and do things I never got to do, which is actually be a journalist. And I was actually gonna say it's incredible how that comes full circle. Like you started, yeah, you, know, I, you like oh, got distracted by fashion and now you hear you're back to writing. That's incredible. Right. And Ivanka Trump, she came, I actually spoke at an event and she came and she she had a website at the time that did an article and profiled me because she had followed me as a convert. So it was very interesting the people you meet along the way. And right. you no know, fashion, I think, is always part of my story because even now I work in the industry. I've always gone back to it. There's always different areas. It's like you said, for me, it's a creativity. And um, it just it makes sense to me. It's in my blood. Yeah. You know, it's it feels clearly, right. Clearly, it's in your blood. So, um, so yeah, so I did that and I freelanced a lot. And then my son, when he started school, I started, I mean, I always kept my Instagram account going because people, I knew people needed that support. Mm -hmm. And as I was writing more freelancing, I saw within our Jewish community that like you said, and brought up, you know, it's not typical for people to be orthodox and come into this industry. And I, I saw that there was a disparity and people wanting to get into the industry because a lot of people still reached out to me and connected with me to get jobs in the industry. Mm. I noticed that there was there was a gap in the education. 
And I am like such an advocate for education experience. Like, you know, I remember I was at a Tippy show a few years ago and a Jewish from girl was working backstage and she was like, I'm working here and I got this job because of you. She's like, I wanted to be a designer, but you told me, no, get this internship. We're black for five years. And, come back. and I was like, oh, okay. Oh my God. I'm so mean. But like she was doing it. And that was so, I was like, good for you. But how many people have, like you said, the guts to not, I mean, it can be a very tough industry Yeah. and you have to really, I mean, you have to yeah. love it and you have to want yeah. it. And you also have to know why you're in it. And you can't, like, there were things written about me that weren't nice. In right. the Jewish community, in the non-Jewish community, people had things to say about me. My blog was very aspirational. It was high-level fashion. I think you have to have really your head on straight and be really secure with why you're doing things and the greater purpose. So you, again, don't get distracted by, by the all the, the talking, the littleness. Yeah. Because have got a nice opinion, but like the only people actually accomplishing the world are the ones taking action. So for me, it was always walk the talk, keep your head down, show up, do the work and whatever Hashem throws at you trust that this is what's meant to be. And ultimately is for your best because you're put, you're doing your best. And right. I don't, you know, what people are going to try and de deter that sometimes, sadly. Yeah. And it, so I put energy into community while I was still working in the, in the, not the community capacity, but I, I really went back to working with the students at FIT and helping modest designers. You know, they still would come to me all, you know, and I would still meet with them. Right. I would help them, you know, wear their stuff to fashion week, even though I didn't have a blog, get it photographed, continue that community support. I mean, yeah. I, we were, we were all in it together. And um, I love your sense of community. I think it's so incredible and brilliant and it really reminds me of the old school like creative community which you don't see as much anymore in the fashion world and in in the other artistic forget about like the artist worlds there was always mm -hmm. a sense of community in the music world in straight art just bringing people in who might not have that opportunity and being able to create this community for them and you really have that for the jewish community and it's beautiful and it's needed and it's appreciated. Well, I think we've seen this year more than ever, you know, that we are stronger together. And sadly, I think social media and consumerism and all of this, this new kind of industry driven by self, a lot of it, you know, I, I'll tell you, I stepped away from influencing and Instagram in that capacity when it was presented to me where I could get paid to wear things and I could, you know, endorse unboxing very early on because I found it the most isolating thing I'd ever done. Mm. I found it to be, it has to be about you. The content is you. I, I didn't like it. I would rather let other, I would rather be behind the scenes or taking the photos of people or strategizing and helping them yeah. rather than it just being about me. I just didn't enjoy that. I, I thought it was very narrow. I thought it was less enjoyable. Um, and I think the gratification for me felt much emptier. So I stepped away from that because of that. And I, I like community. I, I think we are stronger together. Two heads are better than one. And like you said, this, this creative community opportunity, like, I don't know, you know, you know, when you vibe, we've had great conversations yeah. just, in, and, you know, in general as friends, and it's, it's really 
cool to work with other creatives. I feel that way. I learn so much. I'm very curious. You know, right. I, I like to surround myself with people that inspire me and believe in me and want me to be the best me. I think sometimes when you're more individual and isolated, it's, it becomes more competitive when yeah. you're the commodity and, and it rightful, I mean, you know, as it is, but right. I think it's like athletics, you know, you see these incredible athletes like a Tom Brady, that's such a team player. And in the Super Bowl, you know, he leads team to victory because he himself is, you know, a giant in the football historical realm, you know, right. years and years but he's also known as a huge team builder and a captain. And I don't think it takes away from someone to let others shine. I think it's more fun, like I said. And I think you also can do incredible things as a collective. So much more. You could do so like, much more. It's just me. This is where I'm limited. If it's others, it's like you've opened it up to just incredible things you've you know you've increased that capacity so you know so for me community and that's shifted you know i i right. were i jewish fashion council and um i had actually gone to london last uh march right before covid hit and shutdowns to lecture on the jewish fashion council i was invited to lecture at a university in london and we actually i was having really great response and feedback from the industry on the idea of a Jewish fashion council. Cause it's mind boggling to me. It doesn't even exist right. when there's a Muslim fashion council, there's a British fashion council there, you know, there's a, isn't developed in this area yet. Right. We have Israel, which has designers in, I think, cause I was known for what I did. I saw the need, I saw the need for support, whether it's a young modest designer yet, whether it's, an Israeli designer, what, you know, it was just whether it's a store in Brooklyn, whether it's a Jewish mainstream designer, a need for community uh, to someone to connect the dots around this and facilitate it. And for whatever reason, after I shut down my blog, no one else, I thought somebody else would start a website. Yeah. I thought this is a gold mine. I you can make a <laughs> like somebody should do this. I just didn't want to do it, but I just thought somebody else would take my place and nobody did. So that kind of has pushed me to stay really apart. Mm -hmm. And I guess a leader in some ways of this and have a voice and yeah. advocate. And, and then this year um, I, I shifted that energy towards the Jewish Fashion Fund to do community work during COVID. Yeah, I had two more things I wanted to ask you. Okay. One was about dream detouring. Becoming a Jew was obviously like a huge shift, right? in life mm -hmm. uh, would you say it was your biggest detour or do you feel like there was another one i think well i think fashion industry was you were i mean i from think journalism right yeah i mean i think moving to new york was it changed everything for me i mean really? i think you know becoming jewish and then leaving i was the only one of my siblings actually to attend college or to wow. come to new york yeah so it's something i definitely did on my own that wasn't um you know, it wasn't expected of me. And I, coming to New York, I think, really showed me a different opportunity and gave me, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of opportunity. But it 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 definitely changed my course to want to stay here and be here and to learn how to be part of an industry and how to make it in New York without resources, finances, you know, how to, right. how to make a life here. And that and was really hugely, like my Judaism. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hugely empowering when you actively choose something that's not simple and say, no, I'm going to work hard 
to pay these bills and I'm going to figure out a job that fulfills me. And without an education, maybe that sent you in that direction. You know, you know, I mean, yeah, I do know. Are, are you, you go to tour like it's typical for Jewish women in my community to get married young. They typically have children pretty young. Yeah. And to say to actively choose not to do that. Now, whether it's not, you know, I, because I need a job is it's it's a different it's a different path. It's a path less taken. But I think when you put yourself in a situation where you can kind of feel empowered to do that in New York for me was that it's, it can be a big pivot in your life yeah. because you see, you know, you, you, you expand your world and you that doesn't mean it's a good or bad world. No, I, I don't think any of it's good or bad. I think it's, it's expanding your world is important. And I feel like, I feel like you need to talk about this more in panels. <laughs> no, seriously, because I, I don't think that in our community, um, and in many communities, I don't think people know this idea of kind of taking your own path and what it can lead to, which is so... But I, I mean, I don't know if you want to keep this part of your podcast, but I mean, I, I just off the record, I don't know if this is so acceptable in our community. I, My biggest backlash, honestly, on my blog is from the religious community because they thought I was too modern and they thought I was trying to modernize the modest world and they didn't think it was a place... They thought it was assimilation, basically. Now, in the long run, I got praised for it because they saw that the community needed it. And they also saw I stuck to my guns in terms of my Judaism. But in the beginning, the Jewish community was not a fan of this. Like I said, I have siblings who don't want people to know I do this. Like I'm sure. But my point is, is that so you have two ways of looking at it. You have the people who want to do this stuff, who don't know how or don't know how to think or don't know how to think out of the box. And by you being an example, you're showing them that it can be done in their own way. And of course, you're going to get backlash. Everyone, everyone like you, you know, creatives and starting a new path and taking the road less travel, that definitely brings you backlash. But it didn't affect you. You're still completely religious. You cover your hair. You're as modest as they get. You're probably one of the most modest people I know. And so once they see that, then they realize, oh, well, this is actually really needed. Because wouldn't it be better for, you know, the youth to be like, oh, there's opportunity out there where I could be myself and be this cool other person that I'm creating in my head, opposed to, well, there's no space for me here. I'm going to have to change in order to do what I want. Right. No, I agree with you because I think, like you said at the beginning of the conversation, so many people feel like they have to choose between correct i want to be this way versus that because maybe it's it's common theory or thought that you can't be both or it's what they see or it's what they see and and the reality is i just don't feel imprisoned by those constraints and in fact like i said i just keep my head down and walk the talk and there's not one thing honestly in my life that i haven't accomplished because i really believe Whatever you want to do, you can do. And if you like, you don't need to compromise. It doesn't need, if you feel aligned and if you can identify some purpose and I don't know, for me, it's, it's, it's like the alignment it's that it can all go hand in hand Mm -hmm. with positivity and Uh empowerment through positivity rather than feeling, I find people feel very imprisoned within things in their own lives, but this is of our own doing. And I think if you can open up your mind to that space 
and say, you know what? What excuses am I making for myself? What really is the industry saying? What really is the community? Like, if you come from a good place, I really believe Hashem will honor that. I don't, you know, I, I just think yeah. like if you're doing your best and you feel you're fulfilling your purpose, I think it's all about being actionary. I think it's about walking the talk. I think it's, I think it's just, if you build it, it will come, you know, if you believe it, it <laughs> so will, you know. How do you, you said identify purpose. How would you suggest to someone that they identify their purpose? I mean, I think that's the million dollar question. You know? like, what's your I purpose? figured I might as well ask. Maybe you have the answer. <laughs> I think when you do work that I think everybody has different purpose and I think you can actively choose your purpose. I think we have a lot of opportunities. I always say like it's in, in the Jewish, how many, you can marry seven different people. You have seven Basharats. Right. Seven soulmates. Like I believe we have a lot of opportunity in our life. I don't marry one person to be happy. I don't believe life is like that. I think we have a lot of opportunity, a lot of choices as individuals. And you know, that obviously Hashem's inclined you to, but in terms of purpose, I think you have to identify your purpose. And, you know, I converted to Judaism. I decided to, to keep that a very big part of my life. I joined fashion and, you know, kind of walked away from some of the journalism that I thought would be more book writing and newspaper. I interned at actually newspapers. That's where, the, you know, my internship was. But I stuck with it and I found value in that. And I also felt that I was able to fulfill something unique. And with that, I think comes purpose. So I think you actively have to choose your purpose, but the minute you do work, at least for me, that touches on that like personal, I don't know, purpose, or, but like fulfillment, it becomes soul work. Mm-hmm. And it, there becomes a spiritual and emotional or spirituality in it. And that's what I think you touched on when you said it seems like one. I think I've been able to tap into something that's hugely insp- inspiring and fulfilling for me but also able to impact the outside world and community but it feels really aligned and it feels really right and it to me always feels like when I think of ideas or you know starting new things or blogs it never feels oh this is so difficult it almost feels like I know I'm going to do it it's just a matter of how I'm going to do it like right. me for we anything like that so I've taken a lot of time. I'll tell you two summers ago, I went off Instagram for like three months and, or two months. And I, I literally, I, I just was like, like, what am I doing? Cause I was doing a lot of work in community and I was still, you know, working my son with, you know, he's older, but I was just like, should I do another blog? Should I do like, you know, our community has so many needs in this area yeah. of fashion. And I was just like, you know, what, what is my purpose? What do I want it to be? What makes me happy? I don't want to live in angst. I, I think also if you, if you want to work on things or in industries that are very difficult, you've got to figure out how to make it sustainable. And I'm a big, I'm like a big advocate of sustainable practices. Like it, it, you will run, you will become run down or you will, you know, burn out if, if you do not have sustainable practices in place, even if something is your life's work and beautiful and, you know, it comes down to creativity is great, but at a certain point, discipline and yeah. reality, you know, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a friend, you're, you know, how does all this play into the bigger picture? So you're not constantly overwhelmed by it all or unhappy. And I, I'm just such an advocate of like waking up every day and choosing happiness, but also creating circumstance and environment that allow you to live a happy life. Because I know I personally, if I get to a place where I'm not happy, I walk away from things. I don't want to do it. 
I don't, I don't care if it's like Paris fashion. I don't care what it is. If it doesn't, if it doesn't work with my life every day, you know, me walking with my son on the street, if I'm not feeling aligned and happy, I don't want to be doing any of it. And I'd rather just be with my son. So at least then I feel like I'm fulfilling that purpose. So um, I think, I don't know the answer for purpose, but I think, I think there's a lot of great resources out there. I know you do life coaching. I've read a lot of great books. I've met with a lot of people. I've listened to a lot of speeches, but I've also done a lot of soul searching to actively choose and experiment and figure out what really, outside of what other people might think makes me happy, what makes Adi happy. Right. And I think that's also people, everybody, you know, we're taught in society, this is, you know, so many followers or having this handbag or uh, that brings happiness, but it's, it is very fleeting, even though it could be elation or whatever joy. But for me, that was never fulfilling. Like I said, the fame and all of that, in fact, it was quite difficult. It's not something I wanted to, to even waste time on. Right. So I do it my way. And at the end of the day, I go home happy. And, you know, I, I think that comes back to being really steadfast in knowing where I want to be and the family I want to raise and the impact I want to have and not being scared to pivot. And all that comes with knowing, you know, like community, greater purpose. So, um, and you know, sounds like it's all coming from a choice for you. Adi, I feel like you just gave over the first half hour of my group coaching class. So <laughs> that's perfect. Well, see, I love you. Now you know I love you. <laughs> But, uh, no, but this is things I think you're right. People do need to hear. Don't know and this, Adi. That's living it to is, say. You're living but it's also it. just my life every day. And it's, it's active it comes, decisions I make. Because, because of your life, because of how you were brought up and your family made a choice when you were young and then you continued to make a choice or choices as you got older, you got to this place of choice where you are now. And you actively like shutting down Instagram for two months and being like, where am I going? What am I doing? You understand that things aren't happening to you. You're creating things. And I think people need to hear that more because they don't know that. In society, we grow up being told what to do, where to go, even in the fashion world, how to dress. And so to grasp that information that that's not how life is. Purpose is getting to make those choices. You know, I asked you that question knowing it's an impossible question to answer. How do you <laughs> it's impossible. And and it's impossible because it's constantly moving. It's a flow. Right. Right. My purpose a year ago or 10 years ago is not my purpose today. It's constantly changing. And when we get stuck on the little things, then we lose our focus on what we want. And sometimes we do have to shut down, integrate what we're doing to move forward. And that's why I said, like, I feel like you need to talk about this more with people. I think we all have to be actively choosing and re-choosing, identifying, evaluating. Yes. Whether it be our religion, whether it be our, you know, or religious practice, whether it be you know, profession, whether it be purpose, however, you know, but I think we have to be active participants. I, I'm, I like to stay curious. I like to reevaluate. Now, maybe, yes, my life circumstance lets me evaluate all the time because I make my own choices without a history to, I'm creating my own life. Adi, thank you for sharing. I really appreciate your openness um, and your insight. And I think there's just so many gems that people can really take from this conversation. I'm excited to put it well, out thank, there. Thank you so much, Aura. You are a gift. And it's it was such a pleasure. A great, a great talk. Always. <laughs> let's do it again. Let's, let's- 
Please subscribe to Dream Detour on iTunes to stay up to date. And if you like what you heard, please leave a review. You can find me on Instagram at aura.schwartz. That's A-U-R-A dot S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. Or stay in touch by emailing me at dreamdetourpodcast at gmail.com.